Stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. Do you know someone struggling to figure out their mental health benefits? The Mental Health Insurance Assistance Office is here to help. Find us at insurance.ohio.gov slash G-E-T-M-H-I-A or call us at 855-438-6442. Don't wait. The Mental Health Insurance Assistance Office can help you figure out what mental health insurance benefits may be in their plan. Call us today at 855-438-6442. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. <laughs> That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? You know, entertainment used to be easier. I don't think yeah. so. Yeah. <laughs> I completely disagree. No, entertainment used to be easier because... Everyone died driving. No, I'm not talking about lives. <laughs> or flying. Lives were harder. Okay. But doing songs and, and TV shows were easier. Like, because we're going through this whole series, every song from this time period is like, whoa, it's the ice cream dance. <laughs> well, but that was very unique for the time. It's like, you got to get yeah. yourself a scissor. You got to put your hand on the construction paper. We're making well. turkey. Like, that's all they do. <laughs> well, it was very difficult to be the first to do it, though. I guess. Yeah. You just had to have a crew cut and have a big fat face. And then, like, I mean, it's better than the 40s. Every song in the 40s was about a train or a train line or the well, grape. Is it going to go to the Great Pacific, Mama? Oh, what's wrong with that? Well, I also the I love train music. The Charleston started in 1925. <laughs> Fantastic. Welcome to the last podcast of the left, everyone. I have been hanging out with the inspiring Henry Zabrowski. That's me. And Marcus Parks. Hi. Today's episode. Now, this is going to be really funky and really fresh. He has <laughs> the last name of a businessman who has a briefcase full of photocopies of his own buttocks. What? But he is indeed much worse than that. Are you just saying? You're just talking about Tony Stark, first of all. That's where you. <laughs> That's the first half of the joke. Yes, indeed. And. And much like Tony Stark in this story, it weathers bullets. Anyway, wow. we are on to Charles Starkweather part one. Okay. I thought we were supposed to be better after break. No, much worse. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm getting the weather report. It's a chance of bullets. <laughs> That's good. Oh, it's a plane. It's a bird. It's bullets. Charles Starkweather was an American mass murderer from Lincoln, Nebraska, who murdered 11 people at the age of 19 years old. According to the courts, 10 of those murders were committed with either the assistance or the blessing of his 14-year-old girlfriend, Carol Ann Fugit. 
Yeah, whole Carol Ann. And she's going to be coming up a lot. She is an interesting, controversial figure uh, yeah. in true crime. She's still out there. Is she? Seven, eight years fun. Wow. Oh, yeah. So hopefully she will respond and we can talk to her <laughs> after this and see how what her analysis of our analysis is. I, yeah. I just think the election was stolen. You're very close. <laughs> You're very, very close. There's something horrifying about a 14-year-old giving you their blessing. Yeah. It's like, what are you, a little witch? Keel. Okay. Yes, the real key. All right. But this story is something that we've wanted to do for a long time. We covered this, I think, like a little bit when we did Spree Killers a million years ago? Briefly. I mean, that episode was mostly just rereadings of the Richard McBeef play. It was a different kind of show back then. Yes, it was. But now, Charles Sarkweather, of all of the characters in true crime, too, I think is interesting. How many movies and how much shit it has inspired. This story yeah. is inspired. Mm -hmm. Natural Born Killers, the movie Badlands, the Nebraska, the album. No mm. kidding. Yeah, it's is, very bleak. Isn't well, specifically something? Nebraska, the song. Yeah, that was a, yes. yeah, that was Bruce Springsteen's finest work, in my opinion. I, I know I'm gonna get a lot. Of, I'm gonna get a lot of shit for that. I got a lot of shit for that for saying it on the Suicide series on No Dogs in Space. I but love hey. that album. I love, I love Bruce Springsteen. He's I the do boss. too. We're we're boss heads. Yeah. He <laughs> Marcus's sense. You know. Know. You know what I finally figured out? I figured out that it's not Bruce Springsteen that I dislike. It's the E Street Band. What? That's what the, the fuck? What the Marcus, fuck? Marcus, we're actually... Whoa, you whoa. Are, this is a rare chance where Marcus should be edited. He's, he's he needs great. to be edited. Clarence, I just, wow. I'm just saying yeah, I, like Bruce, I, I like Bruce Springsteen better when it's just him and a guitar. Unbelievable. You are just simply wow. the worst. <laughs> wow. Wow. Cloudy with a chance of hatred. That's what he is. The weatherman. Bringing the <laughs> bummers. <laughs> the Starkweather's killing spree technically took place in multiple locations over two months. But while the first murder took place on December 1st, 1957, the other 10 murders all occurred in a week-long rampage in late January of the following year. His is the ultimate example of a rampage where mm. it, it is, there is, it, the two of them had no order. There no. was no, uh, it was a well planned. Right. Yeah, this isn't like a bunch of guys at militia gear planning how to do it. Is actual childlike chaos with guns. All right, mm -hmm. not Matt Damon, Ben Affleck. It's not the town. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> You're right. Correct. Now, Starkweather's murder spree was the cause of much consternation in America when it occurred, but not just because of the sheer volume of murders. Instead, it was a confirmation of what was already a grave concern in this country. See, America in the 50s was going through a moral panic concerning the perceived rise in juvenile delinquency. Can no. you imagine your daughter wearing <laughs> pants? Can you imagine eating peanut butter in the evening? Whoa, <laughs> delinquency. And Charles Starkweather fit the bill of a stereotypical juvenile delinquent perfectly. He had a bad attitude. He couldn't or wouldn't hold a job. Hmm. He raced hot rods. Oh, yeah, he, he did. smoked. And yeah, he was a fucking moron. Mm -hmm. And it was all done with a practiced James Dean pose. Uh, and that's not even, he's not exaggerating. He would spend most of his days practicing, yeah. which is now, it used to be like very pop culture -y. Everybody knew the James Dean pose. You've seen it in like B Bugs Bunny cartoons and shit. Where he's laying on the it's, side of the road. I can do it through our Patreon. <laughs> if you can look at it, it's this. It's the, you gotta get hands in your pockets. Yeah. Uh -huh. it's, the, it's the eyebrows up. 
and the head completely turned <laughs> in an almost 240 degree. We go, you trying to tell me how to be a kid? I'm just telling you, buddy. I was born in a gutter. It's a horrible way to drive, brother. It is. That's all I'm saying. Which is why he crashed his car I on know. that fateful, fateful night. I've been making references to that. <laughs> Well, similarly, Starkweather's alleged accomplice, 14-year-old Carol Ann Fugit, she became a symbol of youth corrupted by youth, Ooh. an example of how strong a bad influence can be, even in the face of parents who tried to steer their child in the right direction. Can you imagine a 17-year-old <laughs> thinking about voting? That's disgusting. <laughs> However, the narrative was not as simple as all that. Caroline Fugit was basically neglected by her mother and stepfather, and her overall guilt or innocence in at least 10 of the 11 murders is not cut and dry one way or the other. Of all the couple killers that we have covered, especially mm. just recently doing Carlo Homolka and Paul Bernardo, right. you really see when the research goes in, once we start opening the, the case up, once you open her up, she's under the hood. Sure. We start to see that, you know, in Carla's case, she was definitely way more guilty than I had even thought than when we began the process of researching yeah. the show. This, the more I research, really shows it hmm. is very, very gray about Carol Ann Fugit's involvement in all this, mostly because she was fucking like 13 years old. Right, forget 14. about she was it. 14, 13. I mean, they're all the same. <laughs> you're just a blob. Right. Until you're 35 years old, yep. you don't count. That's true. Now, in a macro sense, the Starkweather murders were doubly shocking to America because it was felt that if they could happen in Nebraska, then it could happen anywhere. Whoa. Ooh, it's like New York City. Yeah. But it's Nebraska. Right. However, what many of these people either didn't know or willfully ignored was the fact that the Midwest in the 50s was the scene of some of the most infamous and gruesome murders of the entire decade. Oh, we know now. I feel like that has become <laughs> such a meme. That's such a thing now about how dangerous the Midwest is. So well, I think it's important to remember that L.A. is also dangerous. It is okay? dangerous. And you can get shot here. So, oh, it's you say, different. oh, come to the Midwest. That's where we're eating all the kids' fucking pussies. And we're, oh, <laughs> oh hey, everybody's making goodness. a bone altar. Oh, isn't that fucking... We still do fucked up shit in L.A. Well, huh? yeah, nothing to be proud of, I don't think. But in the Midwest, it is overwhelmingly kinder for the most part. But it's just a few offbeat characters that cause <laughs> massive amounts of damage. Oh, this is about an offbeat. Character. Yes. Yeah. That's how you're describing John Wayne mm -hmm. Gacy or Jeffrey yes. Dahmer. It is an offbeat yes. character. A if bit of a nut. Don't, yeah, you, crazy okay, guy. hold on. You're telling me that John <laughs> Wayne Gacy is an offbeat? <laughs> no. So you're saying they're all the neighbor from Empty Nest? Uh, yes. <laughs> remember him? Of course. Yeah, I remember him. I, also, I think he was just gay. I, yeah. And yep. they're like, something's wrong with that guy. He's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> no, he had a bit of a James Dean pose. He yeah, did. like this. <laughs> and now I'm just going to try and talk the whole rest of the show. Just like Jason. You know what? Buddy? Do you understand me, Dad? I wear a leather jacket because it's cold. I'm actually, you know what? It's so funny. You said you're asking me if I need a ride, but you know what? I'm actually going to walk it. I'm going to walk it. Thank you. Is that a, a I'm not going to get a drive. I'm not going to be driven by James Dean. Oh, my God. Oh, okay. oh. <laughs> oh yes. He died in a tragic car accident. For yeah. those of you under the age of 40. Yeah. Everyone knows that. I don't know if they do. Also, well, he was, whatever. Some I'm people not, don't even know the Holocaust happened. Yes, they do, but they just pretend it <laughs> didn't so they can feel better about their political views. No, kids don't know about that the Holocaust happened. They really don't know. Well, it's crazy. Congratulations, there's kids. kids, there's kids there's, it did. <laughs> <laughs> there's kids that said they didn't know about the Holocaust until they listened to our Joseph Mengele episode. That's it's sad. not taught. It's not good. 
Well, in addition to Starkweather's <laughs> reign of terror, you also had the mass murder of the Clutter family in Kansas a few years later in 1959. Of course, that was the subject of In Cold Blood. That was a mess. Even more famously, the 50s was also the time of <laughs> Ed Gein, oh. whose crimes in Wisconsin were discovered the same year Starkweather committed his first murder. And that was just 500 miles away, a paltry distance in the Midwest. This is, I <laughs> Wait, love it. Hold on a second. <laughs> Miles are the same. <laughs> This is 500 miles it's from relative. Nebraska to Wisconsin. No, there's no difference. Oh, and I it's absolutely, it's absolutely. Have you ever tried driving 500 miles from New York City to down south and driving 500 miles from Milwaukee to fucking uh, Lincoln, Nebraska? You've never been yeah. dumber. One is when it is the same <laughs> one takes, distance. No, it's not. The one takes longer. It One hey, takes longer. Listen, and distance is relative, my friend. Uh, this is called one coastal takes longer elite to do. math. He's, this is coastal elite math, and he's in it now. We, we have to break him out of it. I'm not in it at all. I'm talking from Texas perspective. I can do 500 miles in Texas easy. 500 miles in the East Coast. That's a different matter altogether, my friend. Fantastic. He wrote the script. I know. <laughs> <laughs> However, serial killing wasn't the big concern in the 50s like it was in the 70s, nor was mass murder the main concern like it is today. Instead, the twin enemies of the American way of life during that decade were communism, naturally. No! <laughs> and the aforementioned juvenile delinquency. Can oh. you imagine putting a <laughs> soft toe chew on to go outside? <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, it sounds a lot like today as well, doesn't it? <laughs> See, concerning the skirt, now that's an old man statement. I'm yeah. 41. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> this, is when, this is when, uh, I think once you hit 41, you can start calling people delinquents. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, do, yeah. I'm, do, I'm actually flipping and reversing it. I say, get on my lawn. Let me see you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Hey, kids, weird. get on my lawn, all right? <laughs> uh, let's not go to that eager man's house anymore, <laughs> Billy. Yeah. See, concerning the scourge of juvenile delinquency in the 50s, the alarm had been sounded years before Charles Starkweather murdered 11 people. In the summer of 1954, a gang of teenage boys in New York City beat one man to death and drowned another seemingly just for the thrill of it. That's mm. because the dudes lost the rumble. Oh. And it's so hard once you get in the middle of that tap circle. If yeah. you can't do that, you can't do that. You lose. Then you have to volunteer to be raped and drowned by that group of boys. Well, you know, it's not gangs aren't like West Side Story. Yeah, they are. No, these guns. And I went up to MS-13. Me did. and MS-13 have been working on their choreography for a minute now. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, uh, South Street Miguel has been, he's incredible. And the I'm light sure that comes is. from him when he's the music man is, I think it's going to turn the whole gang around. You you uh, act in jest, but I think that could actually help. I keep yeah. trying to offer theater classes to the gangs. And they keep saying, yeah. we're not ready. It's almost like you're not <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer. <laughs> well, these two murders in Brooklyn led the local press to unimaginatively nickname the group the Brooklyn Thrill Killers. Okay. See, during that summer, authorities in Manhattan had been cracking down on what they called the undesirables. This was code for homeless people, gay men, and alcoholics. So when the persecution came from up top, the targeted individuals fled to Brooklyn. Is that why Brooklyn is this way? So cool and fun. <laughs> yeah, like but, it's fun. Yeah. But when they arrived, they discovered that the Brooklyn Thrill Killers had already been on patrol, quote, cleaning the streets of bums, as they put it. Oh, that's not good. Yeah. 
However, the thrill killer's activities had mostly at this point been limited to dousing homeless men in gasoline and setting them on fire Hmm. or chasing women around the streets with whips. Obviously, it's a terrible crime to do. And, I, you know, when they say cleaning up the streets, I feel like that's the opposite of cleaning the streets. I feel like a, a, a burning human. Actually makes the streets very dirty. <laughs> very messy. Horrible. Absolutely. That reminds me of the first season of the first episode of The Flash, mm-hmm. uh, where they were killing homeless people and The Flash had to stop them from doing that. By running yeah. fast? Yeah, and, and doing a series of other different kind of weird things. Henry, he's also a police scientist. What? He knows what he's doing. He's a the police Flash. scientist. So he brings a fucking microscope out to the crime scene? <laughs> he can. What does that even mean? He's The Flash. He's a police scientist. I don't know how else to he's describe cool it to you. But he then he just runs fast. No, but you know <laughs> what the Flash does. The Flash. I never. No, I don't. I, that's what the Flash does. He runs fast. He, no, he runs fast, but he also uses science to make situations happen. Like he can wave his arms really fast, and it creates wind. He's Bill Nye, the fast guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, after this group of four boys killed two men and were arrested for their crimes, the media had a field day with these juvenile delinquents Mm. and made up for the somewhat dull nickname of the Brooklyn Thrill Killers. Once the boys hit the newspapers, one outlet referred to them as, quote, those terrible youth. I I feel like it's my mom going, oh, those terrible youth. (laughs) (laughs) And a true crime magazine went even further, calling the ringleader the, quote, boy Hitler of Flatbush Avenue. Get him! (laughs) <laughs> Boy Hitler, wow. I the adventures of Boy Hitler. Ah, yes. Look at him. It's the final solution to eat all of the red jelly beans. <laughs> Sounds like the documentary the old man was watching in Up. <laughs> I also feel like then that's, again, in Brooklyn, is, it, is that where the hairstyle comes from? Ah, the Boy Hitler. Well, yeah, I guess it did come from the, the Nazi Proud Boys. brush cut there's, is real big down there. Yeah, it really is. Well, there's a lot, of, started- a lot of them here in the neighborhood. Yeah. It's not like, uh, you know, vice as an entity. It started ironic and then it just turned into bigotry. Yeah, it's yeah. weird. Yeah. Well, this boy Hitler nickname came from the suggestion that the boys were neo-Nazis due to their obviously fascistic techniques. This was also highly ironic considering how all four boys were Jewish. But as far as where boy Hitler had obtained those whips they had used to chase around women. Yeah, where'd you get some of those? He'd ordered them from ads in the back of either a horror or a true crime comic book. Yeah, dude, oh. this is really comes all the way back around to comic books. Interesting. Yeah. It's really <laughs> strange. You could and just it, get a whip from a comic yeah. book. Back. Can we add whips to our merch page? <laughs> we I tried. That'd be awesome. Apparently, you need a license to sell whips. No, <laughs> I mean that's well. That's what I was told one time. I left my fly down out by the beach. You are too much tonight. <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling it. And as it just so happened. The court psychiatrist for the Brooklyn Thrill Killers trial was the infamous Dr. Frederick Wortham. We, no, well, I, we don't know. Oh, oh, Now, in the true crime world, Wortham is a, he's a, massively he's one of the secret authors. I mean, he really is one of the architects of the 20th century. This guy is massively influential. Okay. Now, in the true crime world, Wortham is best known as the man who was charged with determining the legal sanity of serial killer 
Albert Fish. Not only is this man sane, but I am his best friend. <laughs> <laughs> Let's recuse yourself. <laughs> and Wortham is the reason why we know so much about the bizarre life of Albert Fish prior to his capture. The life filled with needles, paddles, monkeys, and peewees. Oh, A lot this... of people say... Oh, Dr. Wortham, what is your superpower that allows yeah. me so good at the job? And it's because I do not suffer from a sense of ickiness. Oh, you <laughs> Tell do. Tell me about what you put in your penis again. Oh, my goodness. You can just see him being like, I'm also a stud finder. And then he just points right to Albert Fish's butt. Yeah, it's him right But in pop culture, Dr. Frederick Wortham is best known as the author of a book called The Seduction of the Innocent which claimed that comic books were the number one cause of the wave of highly violent juvenile delinquency sweeping the country in the 50s, adding that Batman and Robin were super gay for good measure. He wasn't entirely wrong. Yeah, he was. He was saying that Batman was a pedophile and that Robin was his groomed boy. He's not. That's not true. No. That's not true. No. No. That's how I viewed it. (laughs) Not that I know of. I felt like it was a beneficial relationship, and in the end, I'm glad that Robin, in the end, he enjoyed his position. Well, he turns into Nightwing. (laughs) Now he did. They were trying to make a Nightwing movie, but then they realized nobody cares. Nobody gives a fucking shit about Robin. It's not too yeah. bad. Yeah. Well, I know. I'm the- sorry, Fernando. There's a whole Robin thing going on right now that you just stepped into that you need to step out of right now. Step out of it. I'm fine. I'm whatever you nerds want. There you go. <laughs> whatever you want. <laughs> I'm just saying you need to back off of Robin right I, now, you, bro. I, I, I'm, I'm saying here, I'm, I'm telling you this for your own I'm fucking good. Away. My hands are up. <laughs> My hands are up. Even I knew it was night night twing. Exciting. <laughs> well, in the Brooklyn Throw Killers trial, Wortham said that Boy Hitler's actions were partly motivated by a graphic BDSM crime comic called Knights of Horror, which oh. featured torture, humiliation, bondage, flagellation, bloodletting, foot worship, and just a couple of nipples. Then Every single thing that will make me hard is in this comic book. Like it. It's it's I love how the 1950s. Again, there's so much weird shit embedded yeah. in that decade because mm. it was this kind of. I don't want to be in that one. I don't like that decade it, very much. It's very dark. The <laughs> 1950s feels very dark. Well, and but the on the background in all of these living rooms where all of these people are doing these wicked things is Leave It to Beaver. Right, that's exactly yeah, the, the backdrop is all this pure innocence, and it's just it's oh, it's really weird. weird. Like you see it in Blue Velvet, like he mm. nails mm-hmm. it to me, like that dichotomy of it where that that just there's so much of that, but also at the same time, it's. BDSM, now we know, it's like, so what? You get spanked. So what? Yeah. You fucking, someone puts clamps in your nipples. That's yeah. fucking people, people you like. have a red bottom right now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, rosy-cheeked podcaster found <laughs> strangled to death in latex bubble. Oh, my goodness. Well, interestingly, Nights of Horror, that BDSM comic, it was drawn by Superman co-creator Joe Schuster at a low point in his career. This was not too long after a court ruled that DC owed him and Jerry Siegel nothing for the creation <gasps> of the most popular superhero of all time because they technically signed the rights away in the 30s for the paltry sum of $150. Worth they, it. Made, they made Superman for 150 bucks. Yeah, and they, I think later oh. on, didn't later on they got some settlement where they got paid Wait. out like 100 grand a year, but it was like, like nothing. Even then? Yeah. It was like in the 90s or the 2000s or something like that. And even now, trying to use Superman in a comic book is really difficult because you have to go through the Siegel and Schuster families. Yeah. 
But concerning Joe Schuster's post-Superman work, Knights of Horror was used as evidence of boy Hitler's quote-unquote sexual perversion and was actually used partly to convict him and one of the other boys for murder. Now, they did commit murders. I am here. I am the defense attorney for these children. Can we stop calling him boy Hitler, please? (laughs) I find it is making the jury think of him as Hitler, (laughs) and that's not necessarily beneficial. Well, honestly, I would be down if we all would agree to stop calling him boy Hitler if he'd put the arm down. (laughs) (laughs) Overruled. Now, boy Hitler was certainly some sort of psychopath. Because while Knights of Horror was more masturbation material, his worst crimes were actually inspired by superhero comics. Because he saw himself as a crime-fighting hero who was actually helping police in their quest to clean the streets of undesirables. And they didn't do anything to refute that by allowing it to continue and saying the actively that he was helping clean up the streets. Mm-hmm. Interesting indeed. I wonder what his superhero name would be. Boy Hitler. Boy Hitler. Oh, But as far as causing murders and the like, crime and superhero comics merely gave the Brooklyn Thrill Killers a template to work from. Because had these types not had the comics or the movies or the TV shows, the urges would come out one way or another. Humans are very creative. Yeah. Well, if anything, the argument should be that crime comics destroyed imaginations rather than morals. Because as far as I know, Albert Fish didn't read any jolting tales of tension told in the EC tradition. He invented them. Get on my lawn, please, God. Get on my lawn. You know what he did? You know what Albert Fish did? That none of you guys have the fucking guts to do the complaint on the internet? He went out and made his dreams real. I think they were nightmares, to be fair. Also, oh my God, look at the moon. Is that a small Hitler stash? Boy Hitler must be around. He's here. Oh my God. And I'm so glad this year they're finally, they're revamping the whole thing with girl Hitler. I just think it's so brave of them. Representation. One man who did love horror and true crime comics, however, was Charles Starkweather. That's me! (laughs) I like him! I like them violet, and I like them with the tits out, and I like them on vroom vroom. I like everybody smoking cigarettes. Yeah, I like them. That's fine. It's artistic. Just, you know, they're they're fiction. Yeah, fiction to get me some dinner, you bitch. Okay, very rude. (laughs) Well, Starkweather's favorite genre was, and I quote, comics with knives. I hate comics with spoons. Why is it some kind of soup restaurant? That sucks. Yeah, I hate soupy comics. In other words, Starkweather was, as I said, a bit of a moron. And he wasn't really there to appreciate, say, the artistry of a solid Wally Wood story. I'm going to do some readings today that's really going to show the thinking level of Charles Starkweather, like where he's at. (laughs) Because one thing I will say about all of these crimes, especially, and and now more more and more I read about Caroline Fugit's story too, I do feel sympathy for her. But everybody was very fucking stupid in this story. <laughs> that is, that was not murdered. All the murdered people, innocent, blah, blah, blah. But fucking John Blah, Starkweather, blah, blah, blah. They are victims of a madman. Well, we'll get it. Her family, it's like, there, there's two different sides of stories about her family and what happens, why they got murdered, right? Okay. But Charles Starkweather stupided his way into being one of the most infamous names in true crime. And that mm-hmm. is the scariest thing of all. Yes. It can all come to an end no matter how hard you work. Someone dumb with a gun. That's all. Mm-hmm. It's just somebody with Ugh. no skills, no viable career, nobody, no happiness, not, nothing yeah. inside of them, but rage and stupidity and comic books. So drop out of school now. Stop everything. <laughs> <laughs> it all ends. No, I'm just joking. 
Well, while Frederick Wortham's seduction of the innocent panic occurred before Charles Starkweather's spree, a thick file was certainly found amongst Frederick Wortham's effects after he died concerning the Starkweather Fugit murders. I wish that we could have spent some time together because (laughs) I do believe we would enjoy a hamburger. Me and Charlie Starkweather just enjoying each other in the summer afternoon, Mm. having sex with a little girl together. I love being a doctor for serial killers. Just one hamburger, just you and Charlie splitting it, and then your lips kiss in the middle of a tomato. Yes, indeed. I tried to do that with Natalie with a burrito the other day, and she said no. Yeah, it's disgusting. (laughs) Oh, God. You know how, for like, from the beginning of the burrito, like, you got to chomp through the entire. Oh. You guys both get a knuckle. <laughs> yeah. Oh. But before we get to those murders, let's acknowledge our source for this series. Today, we've got Wasteland, the savage odyssey of Charles Starkweather and Carol Ann Fugit by Michael Newton. It's another solid and well-researched true crime narrative. Recommended. I also was reading from the, the idea of the, the Carol Fugit's entire storyline. It's The Twelfth Victim by Linda M. Battisti. Hmm. Um, and hmm. it's... It's very pro Carol Ann. Oh, yeah. Interesting. She's definitely, she's got her supporters. Definitely. I also read from something called Wikipedia, which I think (laughs) is a, uh, it's a, it's a pedophile who hunts kids that can read. And uh, it was, it was very interesting. And that's why it's safe to be dumb. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so without further ado, let's get into the story of Charles Starkweather and his alleged accomplice, Carol Ann Fugit. Now, if I were to compare Charles Starkweather's general demeanor and outlook on life to anyone, I'd choose Joel Rifkin because Mm. both men blamed every bad thing they ever did on the relentless bullying that they received growing up. Well, it's just something about listening to the testimony of an older man constantly just being like, if everything, honestly, my whole life turned to shit when I was four. (laughs) It's just like, you never had a chance, dude. Well, I mean, they had a chance not to become serial killers. We were all bullied and everything. I mean, but you got to it's tough. It is hard to overcome. It's about being hyper focused on this this perceived thing that then became your entire personality. Mm -hmm. While Rifkin was adopted, Charles was raised by his birth parents, Guy and Helen Starkweather. Born with conspicuous red hair in 1938, as the third of seven kids, Charles was raised in a perfectly average lower middle class household and was considered a normal child until he entered preschool. Red hair is beautiful. Red hair is fine. Red hair is gorgeous. (laughs) Well, when I was a little boy, that was like the pictures of me as a little boy. It's like I'm just so fucking evil looking because I had the red hair. The red Mm -hmm. hair does make you look like a little fucking demon. No, it doesn't. (laughs) It doesn't. No. The problem child really hurt and set the redheads back quite a bit. (laughs) But Charlie Starkweather also didn't help. Right. Yeah. That year, though, the year that Charles entered preschool, he was playing cowboys and Indians when he fell and hit his head on a wash tub, which puts him on the ever-growing list of killers who had childhood head injuries. That one wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't too terribly traumatic. It's nothing compared to, say, the blackouts and seizures suffered by John Wayne Gacy in his childhood. That's just because he was a fucking little chubby bitch. He was off beat. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But Starkweather fell apart when he entered school and the bullying began. See, like Joel Rifkin, Charles Starkweather had a safe place that existed before he had to interact with the rest of society. Starkweather called his the The enchanted forest. 
forest. Oh, that's not creative. Everyone had the enchanted forest. You don't know me. I'm out what? there. Me and them trees have a special relationship. Because you see what? that one over there? What? It's got a hole in it. Why? <laughs> that's my wife. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it was just a wooded area behind his house that he played in before he encountered the relentless bullies of elementary school. Well, because mm. both of them have the same, that bullshit thing of like, the halcyon days of when I was two years old. It seemed like you don't remember. You just moved. Yeah, I'm sorry. You moved, bro. It's yeah. not that fucking traumatic. It's just yeah. Well, move. it can be traumatizing. Yeah, whatever, dude. Get over it. Don't kill a bunch of people. <laughs> don't kill a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Well, besides the red hair, Charles was terribly shy and awkward in addition to having a speech impediment that caused him to switch his H's with his W's. Uh, for example, he would say wouse instead of house. During I mean, his... He's he, again, he, he was a target for a reason in many ways as a child because th- I've never heard of that speech impediment. I haven't either. It's bizarre. I've never heard of it. It happens. It's Nebraska. Uh, it's Nebraska. During a speech in front of his class in which the kids giggled at his strange speech patterns, Charles had a panic attack, which quickly turned into the raging hatred that would spew forth from Starkweather for the rest of his short life. The speech impediment and red hair, however, weren't the only sources of bullying. He had a trifecta here. Oh, yeah. Starkweather was also massively bow-legged, wide enough where, in Charlie's words, a pig could run through without touching the sides. Yeah, See, they, that's, that's cool. It's, we now know that moseying is cool. Because pop culture made it cool. Mosey around. Yeah, and mostly it's just because we, you know, pop culture, we see these things, all the cowboys, it's cool. At the time, made him like a victim of of everyone else because he was massively bow-legged. Actually, that's what is interesting is that he was correct. He did have oval legs. (laughs) (laughs) And anything could squirt between there. Well, it's kind of nice in in case you're in a rodeo or something, have to avoid... uh... Kind of a horse or a bear or a bull. Or, or... crawling mother. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of good like that. With all this put together, Charles would later say that his first day of school made him rebel against the entire human race. It's like him and fucking Gigi Allen. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I understand where he's coming from. He's quite upset. People were too mean to him. Well, he did later at least admit that this wasn't a great excuse for murdering 11 people. That's a lot of better excuses like uh, going to war. You can kill as many yep. people over there. That's a great excuse. Uh, if somebody touches your car, <laughs> sure. you fucking cut his hand off, you bash his head against the fucking, you get the hood of your car, fuck Absolutely. you. That's my car, that's my second home. I'm not sure if he had the opportunity to go to war. Is this Korean War time here? 50s? Yeah, he would have been able so, to go to the Korean War, I think. Yeah, he could have done that, bow-legged. He could have gotten on one of those nah. little bombs. And, they nah. didn't want him. He would have been 4F. Him. He would have been bow-legged. You can't get into the army if you're bow-legged. But the thing is, isn't it easier mm. to ride the turret of a tank? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> That'd be kind of fun on the outside, and then you're the lookout. Yeah. <laughs> There's the other guys over there. Perfect. Well, back then, Starkweather used this anger as motivation to beat the other kids whenever he felt a hint of bullying. And since he was also a moron, he had that special kind of easily confused, violent sensitivity that can be particularly dangerous. He's just the type of guy mm. that will fight you if you bump him into him at the bar. He's yeah. that type of... He is he became at the age of five ready to fight anybody right. within arm's distance of him and blaming everybody else for all of his qualms. Mm-hmm. Charles would also create provocation when none was present. And for this, he was called a brute and a beast. But since he was also a bit of a worm, his classmates favorite name to call Charles was quote, 
Redheaded, bow-legged peckerwood. I find the <laughs> I find the nickname to be long. It but is I don't long. Know how many times that people say that they yell that at me, but by the time they're done with it, I'm gone. That's very true. Or you're punching them or something. It was more of a chant, like redheaded, bow-legged peckerwood, redheaded, bow-legged peckerwood, and then they'd chase him around and they'd say it over and over again. Yeah, you'd yeah. cry and cry. But we're, all, we're creating a demon. We're doing it. <laughs> we're helping him. Yeah. Uh, I also they did try to call him woodpecker too, which is fun. Yeah. Oh, woodpecker, pecker, wood, See, I like it. But he took it, again, I feel like, you know, if you lean in, that's how you become a cool guy. It's really yeah. not that bad of an insult. If you're going to lean in and people calling you woodpecker and you start calling yourself woodpecker, mm-hmm. that's fucking, yeah. you're going to be a stunt cock in a stag film. You could do that. I pecked your mom last night. Yeah, sure, I'm a woodpecker. I pecked your mom last night. Whoa. You know, something like that. Whoa, Whoa kiss throw it back Whoa. at him. Throw yeah. it back at him. And by the time he's 20, his na- name's just Woody. And all of a sudden, he's Woody Starkweather. I'd fucking hang out with Woody Starkweather all a night second, long. A yeah. second. Talking about hot rods, gum, uh, all our favorite songs, the ice cream dance, the, there is the hot dog dance, there is the corn pop shuffle. Oh, you're going to love that. Cloudy with a chance of coming. With the... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I'm certain. Bring your umbrellas. Absolutely. Yeah, there it's... is a 20% chance to come. And then Woody Woodpecker, he could go by Woody Woodpecker, and that could be embarrassing, too. He may have just been a failure no matter what. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I think he was set up for it. But on the other hand, it's also possible that Charles wasn't telling the whole truth about how tough he was when he was a kid. Because as we'll see again and again, the word of Charles Starkweather cannot be trusted. Hmm. And I'll put Charlie, you know, because he calls him Chuck, Charlie. This motherfucker uh, partially is that not only the words can't be trusted, it's not just because he's like some kind of master manipulator. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a fucking moron. Right. And he, I sometimes <laughs> actually think that he just doesn't like know what happened to him. You know what yeah. I mean? Where yeah. like he's so truly probably these days you'd say he had some form of mental like learning disability. Sure. Because he can't think. Yeah. He also had severe myopia. Uh, so he also couldn't really see without like Coke bottle glasses, which of course he never wore because that made him look like a nerd. Yeah. Hmm. So he's just this bu- literally bumbling moron <laughs> bumping into people and getting into fights because he's he can't blind, see them. And then he gets into fights because he's bumping into you. Right. He's blind. Okay. <laughs> well, school records showed only five instances of disciplinary actions throughout Charles's entire time in school. And while it's possible that most of the fights happened off school grounds, it's more likely that Charles fabricated his fighting persona to fit the teenage rebel image that he'd created for himself by the time he was caught. I'll always remember my gang. It was me, Rocky Marciano, really? Bugs Bunny, uh-huh. and this floating checkerboard. I was talking, I was like, yo, king me, king me, you know, to this checkerboard, right? To the checkers, and, yeah. And no one else saw it. Crazy gang, I was a <laughs> It sounds like it. It's tough to sweep his leg, I bet, because of the bow-leggedness. Oh, I, yeah. I, I could see this guy's, and he's a weeble-wobble. I bet she doesn't fall down. No. That's our We're, power with low centers of gravity. Mm-hmm. Really, Charles was just another oddball scorned by society in the vein of so many killers before and after who chose the easy road of turning that rage into violence rather than finding a more suitable outlet. Now, when the bullying at his first school got to be too much, Charles transferred to another school and immediately got into a fight with a kid named Bob Van Bush, the first mm-hmm. of many people in the story with highly colorful names. There's good names in this episode. I do like that. But even though they fought, Bob and Charles became fast friends because Bob considered Charles to be, quote, the roughest guy he ever fought. 
Whoa. And a hell of a lot of fun. I mean, it's rough, a rough man. A very rough man. I These just, are sixth graders, right? I hang out with girls. I like girls. I like to, I don't like all the the tugging and the and the rustling and the yeah. men slapping each other. Why mm. do you all why do you men do that? Because it's like kinda, it. you, you're toughing it up. You're toughing up the tush. Oh, mm. Why are you always <laughs> grabbing each other? Every, all the men are slapping, and it's always like, oh, you punched me the hardest, Dave. You're yeah. my best friend now. And then you spend all days going, I wish I could chuck it. It's fun. I want to kiss. I want to kiss. We used to see. We used to see how long we could put each other in wrestling moves, like the sharpshooter in Figure Four. See, yeah. that's cool. But again, it's butt on butt. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We would kids would get tied up a lot. Yeah. Uh, when I was growing up, like hogtied and, you know, and then that's what freak BTK, out. That's what yeah. he fucking, yeah. that but fed his whole brain. But we'd do it to each other. And then, you know, you'd, you know, you'd squeal and you'd squeal and you'd get really freak out. Then all the kids would laugh and, you know, they finally untie you. And then you do it to another kid and then he'd squeal and squeal. And then all yeah. of a sudden two hours are gone and you got an afternoon there. Boom, a full afternoon. It's a vicious cycle of somebody else suffering, and you're just happy it's not you. But you know that yeah. they did that to Dennis Rader, and then they had to yeah, stop but, playing the game because every single time they tied him up, he'd get a little fucking erection. Well, that's then, also a test. Like, well, yeah, that's the problem is that all the boys have to go, me, like, oh, oh, I didn't know the turkey was going to finish once we tied him up. <laughs> well, perhaps what brought Bob and Charles together most, though, was hot rods. Whoa. With this obsession, Charles pretty much became the epitome of the 1950s juvenile delinquent cliche. All dungarees and cigarettes and gasoline. Oh, oh my. Hong Kong. He loved that shit. And guess what he was bad at? Driving. Huh. Uh, guess I what? He was it. literally yeah. bad at it. And then they tried to, uh, you know, we're going to get into this now, but he like, you know, they tried to make him a mechanic and uh, he's he not going like to. He was stupid. <laughs> because the thing is that actually uh, being a mechanic is a really complex job. Absolutely yeah. it is. Now you have to be a computer scientist. Yes. See, in the mid 50s, Bob Von Bush and Charles Starkweather began stealing cars for fun and profit. And Charles started participating in games of chicken, proudly boasting that he never once swerved first. That's what he always says. That's what everybody who's just really chicken stupid. says. That's yeah. what they all say. I never swerve. But he couldn't see, so he didn't know when to swerve. <laughs> that was his secret power. And no one knew. They don't know. I can't see shit. <laughs> I can't even see the danger, so I don't feel it. Right. Okay. Kind of a superpower in its own right. Well, such, Charles gained the admiration of a whole new set of peers. The Hot Rod set. Whoa. <laughs> Cool. This, however, wasn't enough to fix his overall state of being, that of a timid, withdrawn, sullen, and resentful teenager who was prone to temper tantrums and extreme acts of cruelty. In one fight that Charles started, he pushed the loser's face into a gravel driveway, grinding it into the rocks until the kid was shredded and bloody. The school nurse who witnessed the fight and apparently did nothing until it was over said that yes. Charles did it with all the passion of a man changing a flat tire. I would like to point out I am the nurse. I am not a referee. <laughs> I show up at the end. I'm and not I doing a 10 cut. Yeah, I, I just, don't do it. I just wipe up blood. That's it. But he, you know, again, I just could. This is all in retrospect. Right. Yeah. They're talking is that about him true? as a boy. Did he even really do that? I don't. I think that he yeah, was a rough. A, yeah. There was a report about that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That one he did. But, you know, again, they add the the all the, the things afterwards because now, you know, he's a mass killer. But right. I feel like at the time they're all just assume, well, this kid is going to literally stupid himself to death. Yeah. Like he is right. going to back his car 
accidentally it's going to be in reverse. He's going to start the car. He's going to go off a bridge. Like, sure. Like, he's going to, a, a pallet of bricks is going to fall on him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's going to yeah. fall through a sewer grate down yeah. an open elevator shaft. He's going to yeah. die that way. Some he's not going to be a criminal. He's not going to make it to being a criminal. I mean, 1950s Nebraska, half the way to pass time is just to rub your face in gravel anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like Ben said earlier, you know, it's extraordinarily easy to die in a car accident in the 1950s. There's a whole genre of songs that's just about people dying in car accidents. Yeah, Dead yep. Man's yeah. Curves. I can't Leader drive 55. Pack, My Boyfriend's a Grave. Um, Rudy Tootie had a miscarriage in my hootie. Oh, that was uh, a bad one. That was, that was, that was crazy. I didn't, I didn't, even, know, I didn't even know she was pregnant. Yeah, it's it a surprise ending there. The River, actually, by Bruce Springsteen, has a little car scene in it. It's a very sad, sad song. There was actually, a, if anyone's listening to the lyrics of that song, if it is uh, your parents' favorite song, they hate each other. <laughs> Because that entire relationship it's is... about killing a woman next to a river. <laughs> it's miserable. from your A roast as dark as the night, perfect for fueling the cryptid research and mad ravings required for your podcasting. Don't mind the red eyes. He's just trying to warn you of the bridge. The bridge. Finally, from the caffeine-addled brains of spring Jack Coffee and last podcast on the left... We bring you Mothman's Red Eye Blend. Yes, delicious Panama beans. Go to lastpodcastmerch.com to order yours today. <laughs> My sister is the best gift giver I've ever met of any person. It's Jackie Zabrowski. She shops all year thinking about her family and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. I don't know how she do it, but guess what? She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right, give the moms in your life an aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do. And the memories keep cycling and I get emotional. And we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy. And that is not sad. That is celebratory. So you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with Horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be 
pinging a lot of these custom agents' accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse picks over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Imagine you just got home from work, dinner is ready, wine is chilled, and your man has offered you 15 minutes of heaven in the form of a foot massage. And then he says, your red light therapy session is now complete. What just happened? You found your escape at Palm Beach Tan. Break from the chaos at a Palm Beach Tan near you and leave rejuvenated. Take time for yourself at Palm Beach Tan and take that feeling with you wherever you go. New red light therapy now available featuring Australian gold. Perfect man, not included. Now, Charles Starkweather's inner life was all about obsessing over constant failures. And I have a good quote. I have the exact quote. Can I read it? Sure. So, Because he was obsessed with this, right? And he believed that he failed in life. And the reason why he failed was because I haven't ever eaten in a high-class restaurant, <laughs> never seen the New York Yankees play, or been to Los Angeles or New York City, or the places that books and magazines say are wonderful places to be. <laughs> there hadn't been a chance for me to have this opportunity what? or privilege for the best things in life. It's not Narnia. <laughs> They're real. You just go there. Oh. You just got to go. Wait a second. I thought a dwarf had to show up with a ring. No. Like a you're... magic ring. A guy with hairy feet. And you guys go down there and you're just like, oh, we better do something. He's a dragon in New York City. You're dumber than Boy Hitler. Yeah, he's smart. Yeah. He's smart. No, he believed that he constantly failed just because life wasn't fair. It was the classic loser's excuse. He just he didn't being... like growing up in Nebraska. No. No, yes. but he thought that that was someone had done, but he thought that growing up in Nebraska was something that was done to him. It's I mean, his whole, it's, it's again, he just, he's a baby. He's a, he's a fucking right. shithead. His whole mm-hmm. thing is that everybody wronged him because he has red hair. Yeah. Well, as such, Charles dropped out of high school at the age of 16 and got a job with his brother Rodney as a garbage man for 35 bucks a week. Yeah. Ooh, not bad. But he had, they had a fight. They had a fire up because he kept harassing people on the, the route. And he'd yell at people about their garbage. And what stuff would he yell like, about their garbage? They're putting all this stinky fucking bullshit out of here for me. I got nothing but respect for you, garbage man, but you're the garbage man. You got to pick up the garbage man. You put duties in this bag. No, it's not. I have dogs. I have to pick up the the dog shat in the house. You disgust me. No, you're just, please, you get paid fairly well. Am I some kind of duty? Fucking (laughs) slay man? I didn't make you a garbage man. It's a good job. You got to work for 25 years and you can retire forever. I didn't know that. Then you go to Florida. <laughs> I shouldn't have quit then, right? I know. Then you go to Boca Raton. <laughs> I made so many mistakes. I'm never going to get to the World's Fair. No, you won't. <laughs> well, after he quit, he got a job at a newspaper warehouse, bailing papers and unloading trucks. Now, even though the warehouse job was extremely low skill, his bosses still described him as, let's use the word mentally challenged. Let's use that phrase. They used a different word. There were uh, old medical terms <laughs> that we don't oh, use intriguing, anymore. Intriguing. Yeah. Well, from what his bosses said, you'd have to tell Charles two or three times how to do something before he'd finally get it. It earned him the title, the dumbest man the newspaper ever employed. Hey, a question, a question here. <laughs> what are we a... printing here? What, are we, what is this? What, are, are these menus? It's the news. Okay, no, yeah. of course, of course. 
<laughs> can I ask a question? Hey, boss, can I ask a question? Yeah. Um, what are the squiggles <laughs> on the papers? Those are words. Oh. <laughs> Keep- now, I have another question. Someone wanted, someone asked me, should I return the newspaper? Because when you talk to the little man in the square, he doesn't say anything back. <laughs> right. There's a picture. Whoa. Yeah. It's not. Is that- he frozen? Does that mean he doesn't go to heaven? No, it's still alive. It's just somebody took a picture of somebody uh, or a duck. As a matter of fact, remember that duck segment when they were ran? The world's weirdest duck. Yeah, I hated him. He creeped me out. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> quack along, quack along. Yeah. You didn't read that article, did what you? What horrible business am I in? <laughs> it's the newspaper business. Well, concerning Charles's stupidity, he once fell asleep at work under a sun lamp and burned half his face. <laughs> <laughs> and... He'd often order car parts and charge them to the company to have the cost taken out of his paycheck. But since he couldn't do math, he would constantly order more car parts than what he was paid. So they had to tell him to stop doing it. Mm-hmm. Another time, the handle on a bailing machine slipped out of Charles's hand and struck him so hard in the face that he was not cold. And as a result, he suffered frequent blinding headaches for the rest of his life. Here's another quote from Charlie Starkweather. At the newspaper union, the people was always watching me. They had me numbered for the bottom. I try to do work as good as anybody. I haven't done things by myself the two of us should have done, all right? I used to think, now, no more hating, no more fighting. I've done what is right, and something would happen to take it all out of me. I used to wonder why no goods like some I know was getting praised for doing what they done. I guess it's because they talk better than I did, because they are better places to sleep at night. They made me hate. Then they couldn't make me like them without their changing, and then they wasn't going to change. To be honest, Charles, we had no idea this was all going on in your head. I, <laughs> we just, everyone was just kind of doing their thing. You didn't see my watercolors? <laughs> I left I them didn't. out. It was a cry for help. I didn't know that. I'm sorry. Well, around the time that Charles dropped out of high school, he saw a movie that confirmed the shallow teenage rebel image he'd built for himself. In 1955, Charles Starkweather saw a rebel without a cause, and he made an idol out of James Dean. See, Charles loved James Dean in the film because Dean not only captured the brooding dickhead personality Starkweather cultivated, but because Dean's character was named Jim Stark, which was kind of like Starkweather. Absolutely. my name. And I love that scene where James Dean goes to the bathroom with his big bow legs and has his leg accidentally sit down on the other side of the uh, the old uh, the old urinal there, and he gets a blowjob. That's the one thing I don't understand: is that Jim Stark is supposed to be me? Why doesn't he have bow legs? It's because he's not you, and he's yeah, actually but why an am act- I watching? He's actually an actor. He's kind of actually strangely tiny. Yeah, my thing is, but why has he got my name? Why is that half he my name? He doesn't. Yeah, but he doesn't half. Have- no, he has half of your last name. Why is he living my life? It's a movie. He doesn't even live that life. Oh, James Dean is living like, a miserable life. I actually never really understood. I thought I was looking through a big window. <laughs> That's the screen. Mm. Yeah. We got one of those in my house. Keeps the bugs out. <laughs> it's a little different. But from the Jim Stark character, Starkweather found a pose and a style. And according to his sister, he spent Hours in front of the mirror rehearsing his James Dean pose, perfecting the way Dean hung a cigarette from his lips. Ow, ow, keep burning my chin. Ow. How does he do this? 
It's it's pretty remarkable. I always wanted to uh, have a cigar like the uh, like the dude in the wheelchair from the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, but then yeah, at like some Franklin. point you just you chew the cigar and then it's you disgusting get a, it's when it's gross. all wet. Yeah, yeah, it gets yeah, gross. yeah, it's bad. Yeah, for years I thought that was a sausage. Nope, no, it's not. Yeah. I thought it was as well. Yeah. I never understood why I wasn't smoking, but in the we're most, not cigar men. No, it's we're not. Stoking, oh, actually, you know? I've had a couple of cigars recently. You, you like cigars? I've been into them. Yeah, I know, but you suck on them when they're not lit. <laughs> You go home at night and take a half of a wet old cigar and put it in your <laughs> mouth and just sit there and be like, I wish I could have saved that girl. Like, well, I'll tell you one thing. I don't put it in my mouth, uh, but it is funny. There's this new movie that is basically Five Nights at Freddy's that Nicolas Cage stars in. Willie, and, Willie's uh, Wonderland. Yeah. It's and then fun. there yeah. is one of the detectives that he just has a piece of jerky in his mouth the whole yeah, time. Yeah, but that's because he's trying to quit smoking. It's a character adjustment. It's a, it's a character thing. Yeah. Yeah. But completely unrelated to Dean's performance, it was around this time that Charles's fantasies of the aforementioned enchanted forest were overtaken by increasingly strong and violent fantasies involving a physical representation of the Grim Reaper. Charles would later say that he would experience personal visits from death, who would bring along a coffin and order Charles to climb inside. I do have a direct reading of his yeah. fantasy. Yeah? Go for it. Go for it. She comes to me in a dream. She told me, don't be in no hurry. I won't let you forget. One time, death came to me with a coffin with the all folded for me to get in. Right? <laughs> and the coffin sailed away with me in it to come to a big fire. And the coffin sort of melted, I guess. I was down there in a street with great flames of fire on each side of me. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't hot. Like I always thought hell would be. This is a dream. No. It was more like <laughs> beautiful flames of gold. And I woke up. <laughs> All right, so it doesn't sound like it was a nightmare. It sounds like he really enjoyed it. Yeah, he loved his visits from death, but his yes. death was not the typical black robe skeleton type. To him, death was a half human, half bear with no neck, no arms, and no ears. It's just they asked oh him because the, the psychiatrist, they're sitting with a psychiatrist. This is all obviously all these quotes all come from after the fact. They're yeah. trying to figure out all this kind of shit. And so they're asking him, like, finally, so. So, okay, so death comes to you, Charles. That's incredible. It's fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. But what does death look like? And he's like, literally, some kind of bear. He's yeah. a half bear. He's got woman's tits, right? He's got a half bear. He's got a bear head, right? So it's got an open pussy, no arms or legs. So it's kind of like a snake. <laughs> okay, so he's yeah. like it's like man bear pig from South yes. Park. No, it, it had an appointed head that tapered off into a chest with big tits. It was a it was a woman somehow for some reason. You're not very creative, are you, Charles? I think actually I'm quite creative. I think it's very creative. No one yeah. once thought of that once. Sometimes, no, no. The thing is, what a lot of doctors have said to me is that Charlie. You're so stupid, you're unique. That's my, that I is true. Like, That's amazing. Right? No, he just fantasized about having a big tits with no arms and no legs so it can't get away from him or fight him off. No, it had, just, legs. it had legs. It had legs, but it was a bear. Yeah, it, it was, was sauntering a, around. Yeah. But it was half a bear. It had like bear's legs, I think. And, just, a bear, and then a bear woman head, but it was pointy uh, and no ears. I can guarantee no that he never thought of it once until they asked him what his death looked like and then he just made it up on the spot. Oh, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> Well, eventually, Charles claimed that this bear woman would visit him in waking fantasies, accompanied by a whistling sound that announced her arrival. In these daydreams, Charles imagined himself as the hero of fantastical adventures, and these fantasies always ended with Charles 
murdering his enemies. It's interesting that he did view death as a whistle because I'm certain he had no clue about the Aztec death whistles or any no. of that type of shit. And he said that that's what it sounded like, which is, okay. I find that to be fascinating. I mean, and again, these are just fantasies. So who doesn't want to murder their enemies in fantasy? People do. murder them in other ways emotionally. Yes. Sure. But these, Jesus. Sure. But these murders were... All- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, these murders were always justified in Starkweather's mind because Starkweather had conditioned himself through years of aggressive behavior to justify any violent action. He'd pick fights with strangers that he said were asking for it. They were asking for it by the way they were dressed or the way they combed their hair or because they looked at him cross-eyed, as he put it. That is rude, though. I hate that. It's what What are you looking at? You like Harpo. I hate when people give me Harpo face. I go nuts. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Jerry Lewis, come on. And while this is a way of living that would repel most people, it was actually attractive to Starkweather's future partner in crime, Carol Ann Fugit. Look at that. Now, there's a lot of speculation as to whether Carol Ann was a willing accomplice in the murders to come. And modern interpretations usually tend to absolve her of any blame. Mostly, I think, because of her age and the mm-hmm. nature of the crime. But I think that there's gray, there's a gray mm. area in between that we're trying to waddle in. Okay. Yeah, I think it comes down to a reality that exists somewhere between two scenarios. The first possibility is that Carol Ann fell in love with a bad boy, quickly got in over her head when the fantasies became real, then went along with the mass murder because she was scared of what Charles would do if she didn't go along with it. Yes. The second option, though, is that Carol Ann was more like Carla Homolka. In that situation, the extreme violence, starting with Carol's parents, activated a hidden desire to kill. This is the Mickey and Mallory scenario, although Starkweather and Carol Ann never left anyone alive to tell the tale. The more research I do, the more I'm starting to believe that she did not have anything directly to do with any sort of violence except for the violence against her family and that everything else was separate and that Charles Starkweather kept it separate, but then try to blame it all on her, which we'll get to. All right. Natural born killers, perhaps. Concerning the former possibility, though, Carol Ann was only 12 years old when she met Charles Starkweather. She'd gone on a double date with Starkweather and Carol Ann's sister, Barbara, who at the time was dating Starkweather's best friend, Bob Von Bush. Now, yeah, this is old-timey dating. Okay, <laughs> yeah. This is old-timey dating because uh, you remember the, the, the Fugits actually just broke up, right? Because they she had a stepfather, blah, oh, blah, okay. blah. There's a little bit of backstory here because the father was weird. Like, the, the original Fugit, like, left town, and they, they're kind of like a hard scrabble family trying to put it together. But it is weird to, like, be like, you should date my 12-year-old sister fellow adult. <laughs> well, you know, again, 1950s, the guy blew a fugit. He had to but, get out of there. Oh, <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Nice. Well, from what the author wrote, Carol was 12, but could have easily passed for 17 in both <laughs> looks and attitude, which isn't all that hard to see, considering how everyone in the 50s looked like they were fucking 35 by the time they were 15 years old. By the way, check out Orphan First Kill. Not too shabby. It's good. Yep. It's not the too twist, shabby? The twist not in it's pretty shabby. great. Oh. It's great. All right. Interesting, because I, I figured there were no more twists left. Oh, there's oh, a twist. Oh, there's a twist. Oh, but concerning Carol Ann, she was rebellious, quick-tempered, wore dungarees and a men's shirt with the sleeves rolled up. She swore like a sailor, and she already knew how to drive a car. She was aping the idea of being bad girl. Mm. Yeah. Again, she was 12. Right. Yeah. So she didn't really know. 
Yeah. Like Charles, though, Carol Ann was also a bit of a dullard and had been held back in elementary school. Unlike Charles, though, Carol Ann was neglected by her mother following a divorce and a remarry, and Carol Ann grew up in utter poverty. From the book, The Twelfth Victim, mm. there was an example of why the mother actually uh, disliked the original father, because the uh, William Fugate, her father, um, was a considered to be like he was not around a lot, but he was considered to be a little bit inappropriate in his humor. And one of the favorite he used to write poems for his daughters to make them laugh. And mm. one of the poems was, oh, I took my girl a skating. I sat her on my knee. She lit a fart, broke my heart and shit all over me. <laughs> oh, it ain't going to rain no more. That's funny. No more. That was the poem that he that's used to say. And the kids used to laugh and love it. That's and a funny one. was giving side-eye. <laughs> that's know. not bad. I mean, it's, it's not nearly as bad as it could be. Hey, yeah, obviously, yeah, he could have molested everyone. Oh, sure. <laughs> well, after Carol Ann and Charles went out on one date, he was so smitten that he actually threatened to kill another boy who tried asking her out. Oh, my. Yeah, and the pair would date for the next two years. See, Carol, she didn't care about Starkweather's speech impediment, his bow legs, or his intense myopia. Love does that, doesn't it? I guess. All she saw was a tough rebel with a hot rod whom she considered handsome, mm. even though Charles Starkweather is about one of the weirdest looking dudes I've ever laid eyes on. He's somehow both moon faced and square headed at the same time. <laughs> well, what he is is hot and cool. To a 12-year-old. And then you <laughs> yes. understand things. So things do change. Things yeah. do change. You look yeah. at him because, again, he was giving her a lot of attention. He was five years older than her. He yeah. was loving, you know, now we know the term love bombing. He was doing that, too. He pulled out all the stops. It was like he just would give her whatever money he had, he gave her, and he was obsessed with her. Mm -hmm. So she felt very special. Yeah. See, in Carol Ann's eyes, Charles could do no wrong. And once he had someone to share his world with, he could, in author Michael Newton's words, break from society completely. For Charles, quote, Something worth killing for had come. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Now it's just not meaningless killing. Yeah. Now I can do it. It's nice. I got a reason. I got a causes belli. I, I mean, it's kind of romantic uh, if it was written by Shakespeare, but it's not. Mm -hmm. It's not. Well, it's because he's an asshole. And again, it's about like now I have somebody that likes me for me, which is I'm a horrendous asshole. Yeah. And now yes. you like me for being one. And I was doing I did do a little snooping on uh, on Mr. Uh, Charles. There. It's not research uh, snooping. <laughs> and uh, he's not that unattractive. I'm going to say he's a six point five. 6.5, really? He's got an actor's just, head. Kissel's being, he's he's just being generous head. today. I don't know why he's choosing to be generous <laughs> with Charles Starkweather, but he is. <laughs> but things didn't immediately start with murder and death. It took a while for both of them to warm up to the idea. But once Charles got a taste for it, and since he wasn't that great at thinking about the future, he found that murder solved problems in the very short term. Eureka! Yep. <laughs> So tell me, Charles, what was your aha moment? Well, I realized that you just kill and kill and kill and kill and everybody just like they give you things and you, and you win. You're, you're number one. That's great. Do you want to sit down with Dr. Oz and Dr. Phil to talk about it on their show? Oh, my God. Am yeah. I going to go? To, am I going to see the yellow brick road? Yep. Catch, catch me outside. Those problems, however, mostly involved Carol Ann. And a fight with his father over whether or not Carol should be allowed to drive Charles's car when she was just 13, Charles slapped his father and his father slapped back, sending Charles flying backwards into his car's side window, breaking it. 
They literally, <laughs> he literally threw him out of a window. Oh my goodness yeah, gracious. Yeah, yeah. That's how small he was. But his father was like a nice guy. Like by all accounts, his father yeah. was a hardworking, honest man that like freaked out. Like there was his son just. He got into a slap fight with this kid. I mean, it, yes. you know, that's a slap fight. Yeah. No, guys, got, like that's the thing. There were seven kids. The other six were just fine. Yeah, they were just hanging out. Huh. Yeah. He got all the the recessive genes. It's too bad. It's too bad. Well, Charge was subsequently kicked out of his house, and he moved in with Bob Van Bush and Carol Ann's sister, Barbara, who, since marrying Bob, had become Barbara Bush. Yay! Whoa! But not Bush, war criminal, Bush, <laughs> bad beer. Okay. Yeah. Soon after, though, Charles moved in with his brother Rodney and focused on Carol, spending most of his paychecks on buying her useless junk. Yeah. But even though he needed money, he quit his job at the newspaper warehouse Great. because, in Charlie's estimation, his boss had hired a bunch of college boys, made Charlie train them, then he promoted them to higher-paying jobs. It's because I mean, they all could think, and <laughs> he know. could not think well he no. was he thought well enough to train them did he not no, he didn't i that's charlie saying he was training them okay. i don't think they were sending him to train i don't think yeah. they were like i don't think so all right yeah. all right but his bosses they were about to fire him anyway because he was dumb and he had a bad attitude you can't be what, both gets the thing you can either be mean or stupid and still hold a job but yes. you can't be both and expect right. people to want you around as yeah, a matter you, of fact if you're kind of stupid but really nice you'll be loved that's what yeah. i need that's what i crave <laughs> yeah <laughs> nevertheless charles returned to the life of a garbage man this time for 42 bucks a week got a seven dollar oh. a week raise this is good money technically it is very good money yeah. But it wasn't enough to shower Carol with gifts and pay rent. You got, you're fucking missing the point, Charles. Hey. You're the garbage man. Start sifting through it. I know you got my... a gift every damn time you go to work. I know where my bread is buttered. <laughs> and oh where my, my bread God. is buttered is on the body of this 12-year-old girl. This is disgusting. <laughs> garbage men get some of the best of the best of the best. I mean, if you've got a good eye. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But that's the thing. Since he couldn't have the gifts and the rent, he just stopped paying rent. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, what can you do? But make me not live here anymore? Well, I'm saving it up. Seems like his priorities aren't really in order. It seems like he has a thinking issue. It seems like yeah. he has a prior tour, a prioritizing Because if you don't have a house, you have no place to put the things that you're buying. No. Right. But as it was always destined to go, things finally came to a head in 1957 when a rumor started circulating that Charles had gotten Carol Ann Pregnant. But she does nail what they don't know is that she was skipping the rope the other day and she fell down on a belly and it's just a just a fucking bruise. <laughs> there you go. Thank you, Charles. From your grave. Lately I've been listening to a lot of my favorite singer-songwriters like Waylon Jennings, Towns Van Zant, and Warren Zevon. And part of what makes it great is listening on Raycon wireless earbuds. Raycon's everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. With optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit, their earbuds are so comfortable and do not budge. Raycon offers three customizable sound profiles to match what you're listening to, plus noise isolation and awareness mode, so you can choose to be immersed in sound or be able to hear your surroundings when you need to. With Raycons, you can get the same audio quality as other premium audio brands, but at half the price, plus eight hours of playtime and a 32-hour battery life. It's no wonder Raycon's everyday earbuds have over 50,000 five-star reviews. 
I use my Raycons when we're traveling around to do shows or if I'm just chilling going on vacation somewhere. It's always nice to have them in my ear. Go to buyraycon.com slash last today to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com slash last to score 15% off. Buyraycon.com slash last. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel here with Henry Zabrowski. Yeah, it's me, man. Yeah, bro. Henry Zabrowski is smoking some of that sweet last podcast on the left, babe. Go out there and purchase yourself some. I hope you enjoy it. We have sativa, we have indica, and we have a hybrid. And I have to tell you, from my personal experience, they are wonderful. Super tasty, live resin. You really get the delicious weedy taste, which is what I like. And three different experiences. You go to your local vape store and get it. Absolutely. Thank you all so much for supporting the show. We absolutely love you. Can't wait to see you on the road and get that vape. Put it in your brain and have a good time. And if you want us at your favorite weed store, give them a call and ask for them by name. Last podcast on the left, it's weed. Hail yourselves, everyone. Hail Satan. Welcome back to our studio where we have a special guest with us today, Toucan Sam from Fruit Loops. Toucan Sam, welcome. It's my pleasure to be here. Oh, and um, it's Fruit Loops. Just so you know. Uh, fruit. Fruit. Yeah, fruit. No, it's Fruit Loops. The same way you say studio. That's not how we say it. Fruit Loops, find the loopy side. Silence is golden, especially when it comes to brakes. That's why Napa Silent Guard are built to be one of the smoothest and most quiet brakes on the market. Made with fiber-reinforced shins that eliminate noise for the life of the pad. Rubber-coated hardware for a better fit and quality design that meets and exceeds OE performance. Silent Guard brakes deliver the stopping power drivers demand. Available now at Napa locations nationwide. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Now, even though Carol Ann was mostly neglected following her mother's divorce and remarry, Carol Ann's mother, Velda, and her stepfather, Marion, they weren't too jazzed about having Charlie Starkweather as a potential son-in-law. You're just right. sitting in your living room, living a normal, like, because honestly, Marion Fugit was fine. Or Marion, whatever his last Bartlett. name was. It I think it was it. Bartlett. Mm. He's fine. Right. He was just normal. They, She said, according to this, according to the the. the Carol Ann Fugit book, it's all like, she had a perfect life and then, oh, she didn't know, you know, I feel like it's too far in the other end. Where it mm-hmm. mostly just seems like, Marion was fine, they lived a normal life and then all of a sudden, your 12 year old shows up with Charles Starkweather. Right. And then he is exactly as ordered. When what a he nightmare. arrives, everywhere he goes <laughs> right. is a circle of chaos and idiocy because he just fucks up. Every single thing that he touches, mm-hmm. and yeah. he's 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 bad to have in the living room. Right, yeah, you might want to kick him out there. Yeah. So they refused to allow Carol to marry Charles, saying that if they tried, they'd annul the marriage and charge Charles with statutory rape. I, I didn't touch a single fucking statue. I was just <laughs> no, Charles, it's really much worse than that. <laughs> and with this, 
Marion and Velda became the specific scapegoat for all of Starkweather's failures. Suddenly, huh. he decided that they were working night and day to keep what he deserved out of his reach. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. I also have like I have an idea that Charles was a virgin throughout this whole thing because they talk hmm. about how he didn't know what to do with women. And Carol Ann says straight up, like, we just kissed. Like, yeah. she was never even, they, she knew she couldn't be pregnant because they never had sex mm, with each other. Okay. Eventually, though, Charles settled on a solution. He began to imagine himself as the hero of what he called his shooting movies. Oh, wow. What a clever name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that went along with the stabby books. I got shoot movies. I got yeah. my sharp-ass books. Yeah. Oh, I'm the most dangerous guy at the library. What does the devil look like again? Oh, he's just, oh, ice cream. And, no. Uh. <laughs> Sometimes he's got a long blonde hand. Sometimes, yeah. oh, who's that? Pat Jack? Oh, <laughs> wow. I, well, I'm surprised you know who he is. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Time isn't linear. Isn't that something? (laughs) Well, Charles imagined himself to be the man killing the evil villain standing in his path. And this was all in the pursuit of whisking away his beloved to a better life. At the same time, Charlie's bizarre half-bear vision of death was slowly replaced by Carol Ann herself. And according to Charles, the two of them, Carol Ann and himself, they began planning their violent escape together. But Carol Ann, of course, denies that she knew anything about the rampage to come. Carol Ann says in the book that he never once mentioned ever wanting to rob anything, which is not true. I think that's completely fake. But she said that what he had was that he told her the stories that, you know, actually, up before you met me, I was a sheriff in Texas. What, you're and selling, I actually got to go back because the bureau's been looking for me. Yeah. I got to go. Young sheriff. Literally, that's what that's what she said was his fantasies that they're going to escape and go back to where he's a sheriff in Texas, which is I just don't think that that, that happened. Uh, I think that hmm. they fantasize about robbing a bank together. Yeah. Well, he probably, just didn't think it was sounds like happen. they're just really young and very stupid. And he probably talked about it so much that she forgot that he was talking about it at all. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, truly. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, before Charles got around to enacting that fantasy of whisking her away to a better life, he needed money. Yeah, like so, that job that you had. Remember when you yeah, had a job? Yeah, yeah. That was like a oh, misstep, huh? <laughs> no, that was a right step. What if I go digging for gold? That's all. You know what? Fine. That's at least a mission. I'm here. Fine, I'm no, here. that's you're picking your nose. <laughs> you're a child. I'm a child. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we shouldn't be together. Carol, you look fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> look, he needed a lot of money fast. And he figured the easiest way to do that was to rob the gas station where he hung out on his days off, bumming sodas and cigarettes. That's great. So everyone knows who you are. And then as soon as you show up, they'll be like, uh, hey, Mr. Starkweather. No, they're going to be like, finally, you're robbing here. Oh, We've wow. been waiting for you to finally free us. Free us from this job. We know who you are. You know that, right? The key is if you rob somebody's job, you free all the employees because they're forced <laughs> to be there. Oh, I see. <laughs> for about two weeks, Charles cased the gas station, noting the movements of the attendants while hanging out with one of the attendants, a guy yes. named Robert McClung. <sighs> he literally, and they're all like, what's Charlie doing out there? <laughs> Seems like he's casing the joint. Like yep. It might as well have been he told them. Essentially. Yeah. Well, Charlie figured as he watched more and more that it wouldn't be a problem if he had to kill the attendant. But at the end of November 1957, a petty and very stupid argument guaranteed the attendant's death. Uh Uh-oh. On that day, and this wasn't the guy that Charlie knew, 
But on that day, Starkweather tried buying a teddy bear for Carol Ann on credit. I love a gas station teddy bear. I'm good for it. You know me, plushy business everywhere. You know, if you you have to uh, buy your girlfriend a teddy bear as a gift, you're dating someone way too young. It's child. (laughs) Yeah, it's. uh, No, she just really wants this Lego set. How old is she? <laughs> Actually, Natalie did just did Natalie like the Lego sets, but th- nowadays they're like four hundred dollars. Yes, they're, you very can, they're very adult. They have advanced yeah. ones now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when attendant Robert Culvert told Starkweather that he only accepted cash, Charles got mouthy. He left in a huff and decided that maybe killing the attendant could be a feature of the robbery, not a bug. <sighs> well, let and me so- have a fucking bear. It's <laughs> all over a bear. teddy bear. And they're just watching him fume about the teddy bear in the store. Like watching yeah. him just sit in a car across the street. Right. Mm-hmm. There's no scene like that in Rebel Without a Cause. No, anymore. there isn't. <laughs> I don't remember that one. Oh, yeah. James the famous Dean's let like, me have the goddamn teddy bear. Yeah, between James Dean and Sal Minio, the famous let me have the teddy bear scene. <laughs> Please let me have the teddy bear. Come on. Please let me have the teddy bear. You're good for it. Come on. Also, again, he was a former garbage man. You know how many people throw away their teddy bears? You know how many, how many teddy bears I've seen in the garbage? So wash it off and give it as a gift. No, yeah. you're right, actually. Oh, I made a lot of mistakes. You did. <laughs> and so that night, Charles Starkweather stole a 12-gauge shotgun from Bob Von Bush's cousin. Then he cleaned and oiled it before taking Carol out to watch him participate in one of his many demolition derbies. He's not bad. He wasn't bad at him. He was great. He won most time, most of the time. That's the only skill he had. It is the, uh, let's see here. How do I phrase this? If you're really dumb, you, you might be, be good at demolition derby. Yeah. yeah. Because like, the whole point is that you don't drive well. Yeah. Yeah. If you're dumb and you can't see, like that's it's great. It's perfect. Fearless. Yeah. He's never going to hesitate because he can't. You can't. I can tell I'm winning by all the crash noises. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like not, you know. <laughs> oh, that's me. <laughs> You're the winner. Oh. You you won. You you hurt the most amount of cars. Yeah, it's cool, right? They're just sitting there. <laughs> yeah. Well, that night, Charles won 20 bucks. Oh. And he celebrated by blowing a bunch of cash at a steakhouse before taking Carol Ann to see a submarine movie called The Enemy Below, starring Robert Mitchum. Ooh. Ooh yeah. Dude. Mitchum. Underrated actor. I love him. Night of the Hunter. Great movie. Night of the Hunter. Yeah. Panned when it came out. Yeah. Charles then dropped <laughs> <laughs> Charles then dropped off Carol. He then had a couple of beers at the bar. Then he went home with a bottle of wild turkey and spent a couple hours practicing his aim by pointing a shotgun at the TV. Got you, Groucho Marx! Whoa! whoa. <laughs> I got you! Oh, Steve uh, Allen? Yeah, maybe Steve Allen. Maybe he was Jam little... Jack Paw! <laughs> Yeah, maybe Jack you, Park. Jack yeah, you got him pretty good there. Yeah, Twenty bucks really went a long way back then, huh? It really did. Wow. Yeah. No, no, no. He had a porter, thick porterhouse, smothered wow. it in onions, mm. big baked potato. Mm. Mm. Then at two a.m., he grabbed the shotgun, a pair of leather gloves, a canvas bag, a hunter's cap with ear flaps, and a red bandana before leaving for the Crest gas station, where the much-hated Robert Colvert was working. You ain't gonna give me a goddamn teddy bear. I'm coming I mean, with my flaps on. You're never gonna know what hit you with the, got the flaps around I my face. I bet you it's like 50 cents. You could have bought it with the 20 that you won, but... Um, let's just say I'm late this month. Okay. <laughs> now, Charles didn't immediately walk into the store brandishing a weapon. Instead, he went inside and bought a pack of camels for a quarter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll take some uh, wow. cigarettes, because you can tell what he did. It's like super, like, non-like... Not going to rob it. <laughs> give me give me some cigarettes. Yeah, thanks. 
Then he returned and bought some gum. Yeah, just Why come to the store. Why are you back? Just, yeah, just looking around, just browsing the store that I basically live in. I'm are you going to rob the store? I, I'm just trying to see if you got anything new. And I've been only here for like 10 minutes. 15 minutes ago. Yeah, I, I know. But then I realized, oh, what if I went back? Charles, you think about <laughs> robbing the store? <laughs> I'm thinking about... <laughs> Hmm. Okay, great. <laughs> it's not a lie if you omit the truth. <laughs> <laughs> well, these two visits, of course, garnered a suspicious look from Robert Colvert. And that's when Starkweather's paranoia kicked into high gear. And since he figured Colvert might call the cops, Charles parked a short distance away and turned off his lights, waiting for the cops to show up. The key is maybe if I roll up. He really did. He was like, now I'm going to drive back with the lights off. And then I'll surprise the guests. This is the dumbest thing I have ever heard in my life. <laughs> but when they didn't, Starkweather pulled back into the station, tied the red bandana around his face, and put on the hunting cap. I know it's you. That this would somehow work as a disguise, <laughs> oh despite the fact that Colvert knew him personally and had already seen him twice in the last hour. He is legitimately almost a carbon copy of Flat Top from Dick Tracy. Who is he this? He is an extremely distinctive looking person. Who is this bow-legged yeah. woman with a bobishka? <laughs> oh, it's me. Oh, just What's look your up. name, ma'am? Ah. Charles? <laughs> Sneaking up behind Colvert, who was by then working on a car in the garage, Starkweather shoved the shotgun into his back and ordered him to put the money from the register in the canvas bag. Got about 200 bucks at most. Okay. Yeah, it's like, you know, uh, between call, 100 I mean. and 200 bucks, you know, it's a month's pay. It was a big, for him at the time, it was a big haul. Uh, and again, yeah. they're like, he's going deeper now. Okay. Yeah. Charles then demanded the money in the safe, but Culvert claimed to not have the combination. So Charles Starkweather took Robert Culvert for a ride outside of town. After driving northeast at gunpoint, they turned onto an unpaved road called Superior Street, which was then a bit of a lover's lane for the local teenagers. I always think about how the cops used to watch all the kids make out. Yeah. Even when it's, I was in high school, they used to do that. You'd go and you'd be like, all the kids, there was like a makeout area and you'd go out there and then like the cops would always come sweep it, like looking for kids like having sex with each other or whatever. And I don't understand why, why they sent that man out there or did he choose to go? I, it was just people that had friends and relationships with other people and yeah, you were lonely and when sad. When the cops would come and do this. Get out of here, kids. Yeah. yeah like, yeah. why do they, why do they come and look at us kids? Shake it up. No, they the didn't cops look at that. you. They wanted to shake it up. Get out of here, kids. Yeah. Yeah, get out of here. Yeah, we didn't have a lover's lane since we were, it was a, you know, a rural town. We had a bunch of back roads, call it backroading. Uh, and they would <laughs> mm, go back. That's how you save a girl for her, uh, keeping her virginity. Mm, there you <laughs> Going go. Back good, yeah. good work. Uh, yeah, and you'd have your little <laughs> space that you pull up into. But then, you know, the cops would come. They'd go on the back roads looking for teenagers out there drinking beer. And they'd shine a light and go, get out of here. Stop doing yeah, that. They shine you. Why? Yeah. To get because, you out of there. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean, I didn't own. I didn't own the land. Oh, yeah, going on That's yeah. different. It's probably we used to drink at a place called the Dead End, which was the Dead End. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and then that the makes cops sense. come, they get out of here. Yeah. yeah. I guess, yeah. And they just, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Well, after driving down Superior Street, they then drove past the house of a woman named Bloody Mary, who would fire a shotgun filled with rock salt at teenagers until she finally switched to buckshot in the 60s and ended up actually killing a teenager. That's the problem. Well, she's funny, though. It was a funny thing until <laughs> there's death. You well, know. get off her lawn. Come hang out on my lawn. Yeah, go to Kissel's lawn. <laughs> get on my lawn. Well, about a mile past Bloody Mary's place, Charles and Robert stopped, and Starkweather ordered Colvert out of the car. Now, according to Charles... Colbert tried grabbing the shotgun, and after a scuffle, Colbert got a hold of the gun and somehow shot himself in the chest. I don't know how he did it. 
Yeah. Yeah, you don't know how he did it? Nope. Yeah. Then when Charles got the gun back, the gun went off again somehow and blew off the back of Culvert's head. In reality, though, <sighs> Culvert was first shot in the chest point blank, then again point blank in the back of the head. That means that Starkweather probably ordered him out of the car and simply executed Culvert after what was, I'm sure, a pathetic little speech about how he should have sold him the teddy bear. Somewhere oh there's a girl. God. And as she sits on her embroidered pillow with C and C next to each other, she has an open space in her arms that should be the home of a teddy bear. This is all over a teddy bear. <laughs> but then one man stands in the way of justice. I would have given you one the teddy bear. One man stands it's... in the way of fate. And that just man so is stupid. you. Amy, I didn't even do anything. I'm the guy that does the fate. God, I can't <laughs> believe I'm going to die at the hands of such a moron. But either way, Starkweather drove off after the murder, leaving the body behind, and he threw the shotgun into a creek. Now, about an hour or two after Starkweather abducted Culvert, a police car stopped off at the gas station to find it unattended. And coincidentally, Culvert's body was found by sheriff's deputies at about the same time, after neighbors had called in the discovery of a dead body. Now, since Charles hadn't left anything behind, there were no leads, and the cops never came close to Charles Starkweather for the murder until after he killed 10 more people. For his mm. part, though, Charles was thrilled when the news hit the radio the next day, but he still went about his regular schedule of demolition derbies and cheeseburgers. Won 10 bucks on the second one. Oh, yeah. not bad. He won again. But that was the thing is that he spent all night worried. He's like, oh, the papers are going to know in the morning. Meanwhile, like, you worked at the newspapers, Charlie. You know it takes a second for the news to come out. Right. <laughs> he doesn't know much. No. No. In other words, the plan to take Caroline away from Nebraska was well on its way, even though Starkweather was dumb enough to immediately deposit the money from the robbery into a bank account. Oh, yes. Crisp stolen $200. Ah, <laughs> oh, very good. Someone found this missing money. <laughs> very good. But while that was classic moron behavior, Starkweather was actually smart in the way he covered up the rest of the crime. He changed the tires on his truck in case the cops cast tire prints from the unpaved road where the murder occurred. He painted it black in case anyone had seen him. And he even retrieved the shotgun from the creek the day before cops searched it for the murder weapon. Yeah. He's kind of smart, but it's also like, wow, what a coincidence. Well, it's also the the him getting the shotgun before they searched that was a coincidence. But that also mm -hmm. was truly was just he got there in time. But yeah. the rest of it, he learned from true crime magazines. I guess. Yep. But then about 10 days after the murder, once Starkweather felt he was free and clear of the crime, he drove Caroline to the gas station he'd robbed and made a big show of buying the teddy bear he'd previously oh been denied. One teddy bear, please. <laughs> oh, my oh, God. Let me go with my wallet and make sure I have, oh, it seems I have a plentiful amount. <laughs> yeah, ladies, 15 cents for one teddy bear. Oh, my God. Meanwhile, she's like, I don't even like this. <laughs> oh, you better like that damn teddy bear at this point. Thanks, Charlie, but I don't need it. Thanks, Charlie. But of course, this was merely the beginning of Starkweather blowing all of the money he gained from the robbery that was supposed to go towards a new life for him and Carol Ann. Yep. He bought Christmas presents for his family and again showered Carol Ann with gifts. The couple also went to the movies as often as they could. And Starkweather bought, of course, a whole bunch of comics featuring knives. He loves them. All right. Starkweather's depression and headaches even went away once he finally got what he felt he was owed. This is me now. Yeah. Okay. This is nice. Cool, calm, collected. I've done it. Mm -hmm. I fixed it. 
<laughs> what a life for Gonna Lee. Absolutely. But when the money ran out in January, a little over a month after the robbery. Ooh, I should have thought a little bit more about the budget. It's really not that much money. I mean, it was good for a little while. But... Charles fell behind on rent and got evicted. Mm. He slept in his car during a cold Nebraska winter, and the dark moods and violent fantasies returned with a vengeance. It goes down to the river. Great song. <laughs> down to the heroes. Yep. Should never have gotten married, that couple. No. no. Now, Starkweather limply tried returning to the workforce, but gave up quite quickly, blaming his old bosses at the garbage haulers for, quote, putting them on a blacklist. There definitely was a garbage haulers blacklist <laughs> at the time. I mean, it would be his third time trying to be a garbage man after he quit the first two times. I, and they gave so him they a raise. probably <laughs> would want to hire him again, to yeah. be fair. Yeah, no, he was a visible moron with a bad attitude that cannot be stressed enough. But I'm an asset to the company! <laughs> You're really not. You're really not. Now, to get around this, Starkweather figured that if he was a married man, a place of business would have no choice but to hire him. Oh, no. Why? Why would know. you think that? It's very stupid. He just yeah. thinks he's like, we'll normalize. Yeah. You know what? Maybe we're too fringe. You know what we got to do is we got to bring it together. A nice white wedding. We all come together. A big She's still 12. Man. Yeah, but she won't be 12 in six years. Oh, my by God. Then, oh, we'll all be, oh, and then me, by, I'll be here. By this time, she's 14. It's oh, been, this so is it's two so years much later. Yeah. Much all right. <laughs> I'm just stating the facts here. Okay. Well, because Charles Starkweather figured, hey, if I get married, everything will be better. He went to Carol Ann Fugit's house. <laughs> oh, the dalliance of ignorance amongst our youth. He went to Carol Ann Fugit's house on January 20th, 1958 to plead his case to Carol Ann's mother and stepfather. Now, Marion and Velda's hatred for Charles Starkweather had only grown over the two years he'd been seeing Carol Ann. So after a brief and terse conversation about marriage, Marion grabbed Charles by the collar and literally threw him out of the house. Because he's also a foot taller than him. And at this point, this was like the third time where they're like, Charlie's not coming back in this house. Yeah. Like, they kept me were like, he's not coming back. Right. And every single time he'd show back up, but like, He'd always come with different schemes. Like he'd like show up being like, "Ah, oh, so how I feel like we could flip your your whole industry." You know, like you oh he'd say to something like, "Charlie, you're a fucking moron. <laughs> Get the fuck out of my house." It seems like the parents really were trying to do the best they could. I sure. Yeah. Well, that night, Charles claimed he dreamed of giant snakes squeezing him to death, and when oh. Charles woke up screaming and soaked with sweat. He finally decided that Carol Ann's parents had to die. Because of the dream? Snakes? <laughs> okay. They sent the snakes to my dreams. I don't know, buddy. <laughs> the next morning, Charles joined his brother on a garbage route to earn a little extra cash. <sighs> and after the route was done, Charles borrowed his brother's 22 rifle, saying he was going hunting with Carol Ann's stepfather, Marion. By 1 p.m., <laughs> Charles had shown up at Carol Ann's house with the 22. Two boxes of ammunition Ugh. and some carpet samples he'd picked up on his garbage route. See, this is at least he's starting to learn. Well, this thing, he picked a bunch <laughs> of stinky carpet samples out of the garbage. Uh, yeah. And then this whole time, you're like, because, you know, Carol Ann's mother, she's been wanting a new rug. A new carpet. <laughs> so here's some they, samples. But he goes in, he just throws them on the floor, being like, ah, it's nice. Oh, that nice puke green. Ah. That's, That's a nice just one. some puke. <laughs> yeah. Scrape that off here. What about that poopy brown? Um, oh, we're going to want to get, honestly, <laughs> yeah. this is, it started as a mauve. 
Oh, isn't that <laughs> nice? Just imagine if you were the size of a mouse, though. This could actually be it good enough be for good. a living room. I mean, he, he planned to use the scavenged carpet samples as a peace offering. If that's what he said, because <laughs> he said. Velda mentioned she wanted He's a new cat. carpet for their home. Yeah. Now you see this tiny little piece of soiled carpet? That's really great. Imagine hundreds more of these pieces. Soiled carpets. <laughs> the thing is, is that I only have this one Just piece. that one. <laughs> Anywhere so, to get the, uh, how do we get the whole carpet. thing? What's nice about this carpet <laughs> yeah. is that it's perfect for kneeling on with one knee. <laughs> yeah. It's perfect. It's you just we need a lot more carpet. Yeah. <laughs> no, not not going to happen. No. Though. No, no, that's not going that's all you got. This is okay. your carpet. That's just a little bit, though. It's enough to get a taste of a carpet. I That's see. the new company I think you guys could start called A Taste of Carpet. Oh, I see. We used to steal carpet from the back dumpster of a carpet warehouse uh, to line the walls of our practice spaces with so we wouldn't go deaf practicing in a metal storage space. That's there you fucking go. awesome. There you yeah. go. Really cool. But he also really showed cool. up with a rifle. And he does the thing where he walks up to Mary and he's like, hey, you want to go fucking hunting today? Like He just shows up with the rifle and then he's just like, oh, uh, no. no. Well, Mary wasn't awake yet. When Charles showed hmm. up to the door with the rifle and the carpet samples, Velda was a little hesitant, hmm. but I suppose the carpet samples worked because she reluctantly let him into the house after he explained that he wanted to ask Marion if he wanted to go hunting. And so Charles sat on their couch, working the bolt of the rifle in and out, in oh, and out, over awesome. and over and over Charlie, again. Charlie, um, I know we, uh, we might have had a discussion about you coming over unannounced, and maybe we can continue that discussion where you could leave. You're going to want to check out those carpet samples. <laughs> I'm looking at all of them. And cool. smelling them. Pretty cool, right? They just seem to be, they have like a smell-o-vision style to them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got them out of the trash. Now, at this point, Carol Ann was still at school, but in the house was Velda, her two-year-old daughter, Betty Jean, and Marion, who was napping in the bedroom. After Charles was given a polite yet terse tour around the house, he left the twenty-two rifle in Carol's bedroom and went to the kitchen. There, Velda stopped being polite and started getting real. Uh -oh. She angrily revealed that she'd heard the rumor that Carol Ann was pregnant. She then slapped Charles, <gasps> telling him that she hated him for even the possibility of Carol being pregnant. On the second slap, though, Charles blocked it and skittered out the front door. And if you oh. ever want to make your mom angrier... You catch that hand before the slap. Oh hits my you. goodness! Do you remember that? Like, if you want to get hit extra, you stop the first hit. You, you just gotta get hit sometimes yep. by mama. Yeah, my mother never hit me. Whatever, well, Marcus. Bro. Your mother <laughs> strong as us. Your mother encouraged your more. I'm gonna say raccoon-like things that you like to do, like scavenging for carpets. <laughs> and oh, thank you. When you leave the dead mice by your yes. the bedroom door, yeah. If she was I very supportive. To, if I were to say who encouraged my scavenging more, it would be my father. Who do you think oh. I learned it from? Mm -hmm. Wow. Yep. It's Isn't a house. It's a house of skeletons. Isn't that something? <laughs> <laughs> well, Charles started driving away, but remembered that he'd left the rifle. So he returned to the house and knocked again. Velda opened the door and Charles pushed her aside. But Marion was now awake from his nap. Uh-oh. But Charles was a slippery little fella. He's small. Oh so my. he ducked past Marion. Oh, yeah. Marion, however, was also quick. And he managed to kick Charles in the ass, knocking Ooh. him to the ground. And he then picked him up by the collar again and threw him out of the house. This is it. Right <laughs> now, up to this point, this is a Heathcliff storyline. Yeah. I mean, we do have one murder under his belt. Oh, yes. So this yeah. man is still very, but they very don't know. dangerous. They don't know yet. They don't know that this tiny pain in the ass is actually a maniac. Right. 
Well, it's at this point that we can see that Charles had definitely decided to kill Carol Ann's parents. He drove to Marion's place of business and told the operator that Marion wouldn't be in for a few days, which, of course, would buy Charlie some time. The thing is, this is, again, 1950s is just easier. You can walk in and say this to somebody. Meanwhile, like people are like, who are you? I guess. Why are you telling me that this other employee, like, what's happening? Right. Yeah, they just go, okay. You're, oh, well, put Marion down. He's off the schedule. Yeah. He then drove back to Caroline's house to do the deed. But once he got there, Velda refused to even open the door. So Charles stayed outside and played with the family dog for an hour until Caroline got out of school. Well, once Caroline arrived, she immediately got into a shouting match with her mother about Starkweather. So Charles snuck in through the back kitchen door. Velda, however, heard him come in and she resumed the slapping. <laughs> <laughs> this time, though, Charles hit her back and oh. knocked her to the ground. And this is when things start getting a little rough. It's tense. Yes, we get tense. Marion then joined in, grabbing Charles by the neck and throwing him to the ground, where they wrestled their way into the living room. Marion then got up and went to another room to find a tool to finish the job. So Charles went to Carol's room to grab the gun. Mm. Just after he loaded it, though, he claimed that Marion came at him with a claw hammer. So Charles fired the rifle and shot Marion in the head. Yep. Velda, Charles claimed, then came at him with a butcher knife, screaming that she was going to chop off his head. Carol supposedly then grabbed the rifle and threatened to shoot her mother if she didn't leave Charles alone. Then Charles grabbed the gun back and shot Velda in the face. This, however, didn't stop her. So Charles hit her with the butt of the rifle over and over until she finally stayed down. Meanwhile, the two-year-old toddler, Betty Jean, was screaming, and Carol began screaming in turn for Betty Jean to shut up. So Charles slammed the butt of the rifle into the toddler's face, but not hard enough to kill her. Marion, meanwhile, was still alive, so Charles picked up the butcher knife and advanced towards him. But Betty Jean was still screaming, so Charles threw the knife and somehow managed to hit her in the neck. According to one account I read, Charles then pressed the barrel of the gun against Betty Jean's throat until she died. Mm. Charles then picked up a hunting knife with the intention of finishing off Marion, who was struggling to stay alive back in Carol's bedroom. Taking the knife, Charles tried stabbing it through the flesh and sinew of Marion's throat, but the knife wouldn't go in. Yeah, because it was just on the wall. The knife wasn't even like a usable knife. It was mm. some bullshit, like, like a, antique, a, a, a souvenir. Knife. Yeah. 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 So... Charles slowly pushed the knife in with his palm Oof. several times until Marion finally bled to death. Then, from what Charles said, he turned to Carol and said that they sure got themselves into a hell of a mess, to which Carol supposedly replied, quote, Well, it's what we always wanted. Well, you guys want to change what you want. I mean, that's the idea. <laughs> God damn. Uh, no, because that was the, but, and, and there's a lot of talk. Was Carol Ann even there? It's like, there's, did she show up? Oh, because according to her, she showed up after the Afterwards. Fact. Well, we'll, we'll get, get we're, yeah, we're going to get to all that on the next episode. Ugh, yeah. this fucking asshole. So he has now four people that he has killed mm -hmm. and in relatively quick succession, right? Because the robbery was what, just a couple of days before? No, the oh, robbery yeah. was two months before. Uh, two months? About a month and a half, two months before. So oh, yeah, now it's, this is when about it kicks off. This is the natural born killer storyline. Yeah. Right. Right. 
Well, yeah. of course, they make Mallory's father, Rodney Dangerfield, a horrible person. In this case, it's kind of it's just very sad as yes. well because it seemed like they were good parents. Again, it's all about like, leave my daughter alone. You have to remember that somebody can be so so stupid they can be very very dangerous. Absolutely, I think everyone. Re- I think people know. Yeah, yeah, you know. And so, after watching TV for a little while, Charles got to the business of getting the bodies out of the house. He wrapped them with rugs, sheets, and house wrap. Betty Jean, however, was still bleeding. So Charles tossed the body in the sink until the rest of the blood drained out. Velda and Betty Jean's bodies were then dragged to the outhouse, where Charles engaged in possibly the dumbest body disposal I've ever encountered. See, Charles figured that he could dump the bodies down the shithole, starting with Velda, and no one would be the wiser. Think about this. Uh, He thought that he could put the bodies in the toilet yeah, and then they like would disappear. Goop. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. This is not a huge outhouse. I can't imagine. He's. Like, this is where I. I do think. Uh, I, I think it's panic, and being clinically stupid. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. But when he tried shoving Velda's body in head first, it got stuck. So he figured good enough and left the body halfway in, halfway out. What do you mean good enough? Good. It's not. <laughs> you don't detectives are gonna notice. No, it wasn't good enough. And he then laid the body of Betty Jean on the outhouse seat next to the hole and closed the door. Charles then tried removing Marion's body, but found it was too big to fit through the screen door. So Charles removed the door from its hinges, dragged the body to the back of the chicken coop, and for some reason laid the screen on top of the body. There you go. No bugs get in. <laughs> so stupid. There you go. Oh, there's a little door. Now, no one see that. Yeah, no, that's really, really great hiding. Yeah, that transparent door. Mm-hmm. Now, after the bodies were out of the house, Charles and Caroline cleaned up the gore, straightened the mess, sprinkled perfume over the furniture to mask the copper scent of blood, and used the rug used to wrap Velda with one Charles found at the dump. Now he's using his head. I should have just brought this whole rug. Yeah, that would have been nice. <laughs> ah, maybe I could have avoided this whole afternoon. Yeah, it seems like it was kind of needless. Yeah, well, anyway, it's a Lone Ranger. Wow. <laughs> then they left the house, bought three bottles of Pepsi and a bag of potato chips at the store, and allegedly spent the next six days happily playing house in the same place where Caroline's entire family was murdered. And according to Charlie. According to Charlie. The best week of his life. <laughs> and that's where we'll pick back up next week with the rest of Starkweather's rampage, as well Ugh. as Carol Ann's side of the story as to what really happened to her family on that gray January afternoon in Nebraska. Oh, God, it's down All in Nebraska. Right. Down it's in Nebraska. So far away. So far away down in the dark depths. And then well, I want to remind y'all, we'll be in Omaha this way. No, we already, we already were. I know, were. we were already there. Nebraska's a great place. It's not representative of the entire people. Wow, really good. Yes, no problem. Really good. But guys, next week, we're getting to the full rampage. <laughs> um, and then this month, we've got a lot of fucking, we're getting weird with it. I'm we're really excited. Weird. We're going to get weird. Uh, I'm very excited for the topics coming up. And we will be in your town if you are in Buffalo. Yeah. Or you're in what's the other what's the Ohio City? Uh, uh, Northfield. Northfield. Northfield, yeah, Northfield, outside of Cleveland. Oh, we're gonna crush it. No yeah. way, it's gonna be bad. And no. then my second hometown, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Pittsburgh, All always right. a fun time in Pittsburgh. Can't wait. And Pittsburgh. always a fun time in Buffalo. We played Buffalo a few years ago, and it was great. 
And Kissel got kicked out, got kicked out of that weird bar. That's right. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Also, this time. Northfield never been, but I'm sure it'll be a fun time. And then don't forget Beacon Theater, New York. We have a couple of tickets left, so grab those. But yeah. they're going fast, they're and we're going. not just saying that because they're not going fast. No, this which is, is my favorite <laughs> thing that people would be like, almost sold out, and then you call them on the phone, and be like, hey, are you really doing good with the shows? I've sold four. I've sold four. Oh <laughs> uh, no, it's actually going very well. We can't wait to see people, man. It's I can't believe we're here. We're yeah, back we're in, it. baby. We're having Absolutely. it. We're having at it. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for supporting all the shows here on the Last Podcast Network. And never forget, hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Again. Congratulations, everybody. And a hobo, 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 do the ice cream dance. <laughs> oh, I like that. Thing to do. Put raspberries in your shoes. <laughs> what a great beat. It's easy. To murder a family, too. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Ashley's Memorial Day sale is going on now. Shop our biggest selection of hot buys, cool deals, or shop limited time savings on new summer spaces. Plus, get 72-month special financing on select in-store mattress purchases made with your Ashley Advantage Synchrony credit card between May 14th and June 3rd. Whether you're redecorating indoors or rethinking your outdoor space, save big on this season's trending styles only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required, no minimum purchase required. See store for details. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night, no matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale, even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great.